Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Our guest today is Marty Moore, an influential healthcare thought leader and former chief nursing officer. Marty, welcome to Healthcare Soothsayers. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really excited to be talking with you today. You've spent your career in in healthcare as a nurse leader, and you've seen many cycles and changes and events. I know I'm probing on the obvious here, but are there any powerful lessons learned or things that have caught your attention over the last year or 15 months that you're thinking about? Oh, absolutely, Bonnie. But you would assume that I have been consumed uh, by SARS-CoV-2, and and in truth, I have. Uh, But I'm going to share with you that there's been a greater lesson that I've learned. And and if you'll indulge me, I want to take you into a story, uh, if that if that's okay. Does that sound good? That sounds awesome. So it was in uh, 2013. I was coming out of my office, and I heard overhead, uh, Code Silver. Code Silver is active shooter. You know, to be honest with you, it's six thirty in the morning, so I was a little irritated that we were doing a drill. And and I walked down to where uh, I heard it being paged, which, by the way, you're not supposed to do, but I did. And I came around the bend and I looked into the emergency department triage area. And as I looked in, people were down on the floor in their offices. And one person looks up and says, Marty's got a gun. And just as she said that, I looked through the glass ambulance bay at the individual that was my employee. And she turned and looked at me and she mouthed the words, help me. And in a split second, I nodded my head at her and I said, you know, um, yes. And I turned and I walked outside and I walked into the scene. Now, this individual had a fully clipped semi-automatic pistol. He was holding it on the two individuals that were in triage, the nurse and the registrar. As we were talking and I said, hi, I'm making rounds. How's How's it going here? And, you know, the nurse was brilliant and she said, I need to start an IV on this individual, but I can't find anybody. Can I go ahead? And I said, absolutely, sir. We're going to take care of you. And we worked together and we were able to negotiate the gun away from him. Lesson learned, know how to unclip a gun. Um, and, and then suddenly it got incredibly chaotic and busy. And the SWAT team came flying in. The gun is, is away from the individual. Um, we think that we are now out of the... Um, Danger, but in truth, um, uh, we weren't uh, as far as from what the SWAT team uh, felt like. And so as I met with the sheriff, um, he was visibly angry at me. And he said to me at, at, at the time, he said, you, you were an idiot to walk into that scene. And I looked at him and I said, I would not leave my employees to be in such a vulnerable position. I'm accountable, responsible for them. And he looked at me and he said, they were the sacrificial lambs. You were the idiot. My job is, is to minimize life. 
to minimize the loss of life. And so I have to think about and utilize the sacrificial lambs so that more people aren't killed. I have to tell you, Bonnie, that his words have never left me, never left me, um, by no means at all. Fast forward, jump ahead into the summer of uh, 2020. My 89-year-old father, um, we had just lost my mom about four or five months before, decided to get up in the middle of the night, and for whatever reason, still not unknown, uh, or still not known, he fell, and when he fell, he T-boned a dresser. Um, at the time, it wasn't determined or wasn't understood that he was unconscious. He lost bladder function. That was also not understood. And he was taken to the emergency department. The emergency department did radiology scans, uh, CT, MRI, um, films, and determined that he uh, had, in fact, injured his neck, but that he had uh, ligaments that were edematous. Told him not to wear a seat collar. Um, told him uh, to, you know, take the appropriate icing and, and medications for pain over the counter. With they sent home for I think oxycodones and and ice and heat and do those kinds of things that um, you do for um, edema, edema of ligaments. Now understand that ligaments that are really that swollen meant that there was tremendous force that occurred. Uh, two days later, uh, my father's in excruciating pain. He goes back in, he's seen, and he's told, and he's lectured about becoming addicted to opioids. Two days later after that, he's still in excruciating pain, and he goes back in and was told to tough it out. 24 hours later, my father arrives in the emergency department in such excruciating pain, they make the decision to hospitalize him for four days, pain management. Nobody scans his neck. Nobody does a rescan since the original time. Subsequently, he was discharged um, with an indwelling catheter because of uh, the fact that he now had urinary retention. He was then uh, uh, made an appointment with the urologist. I'm on the phone. I say to the urologist, "Wait a second here. You know, this is this is new onset since the fall. Could it have something to do with the fall?" The urologist says to me, "As an 89-year-old man, it has nothing to do with the fall." And I'm arguing, saying he has not had these issues of urinary retention, and he's arguing back. When my dad was in the hospital, and I was questioning the fact that he was in such extreme pain um, around his neck, and now we had urinary retention. And I was told that nurses look for the worst. My father then was getting ready for the burial of my mother. And on that Friday, the day before the burial, goes back in because when he leans back, he can no longer breathe. At the time, he had gurgling in his chest and they did a flat film, no pneumonia. We bury my mom on a Saturday, September 6th. And he's in excruciating pain, but he, he makes it through. The morning of at 2 a.m. on September 7th, he's in such excruciating pain. When he leans back, he can't breathe. He can't sleep. He's brought back into the emergency department, and they finally rescan. He had a fractured neck. Because it had been stabilized, unstabilized, it now was perched. So C6 was perched over C7. It was identified that that fracture was there and present at the time of the original fall 
and the original CT and MRI. Suddenly, a whole lot of things happen. And he's uh, obviously C colors put on and he's bundled up into an ambulance and he's transported down to a trauma hospital. I meet him there at the trauma hospital trying to figure out what the heck has happened. As I'm starting to kind of put all the pieces together, you know, you start to, you, you start to feel angry. There's just no way that you can't. But you want to trust. You want to trust in the health system that you have been such a part of, that you have just given your life to and you believe in. And I speak on patient safety. I speak on transparency. I have studied candor and I was a master educator and trainer around crucial conversations. And so the fact that I suddenly am finding myself needing those things and desperate for them. And as I'm trying to understand and talk with individuals, I'm asking to speak to leadership because systems failed. The health system failed my father. Human factor played into all of this. There wasn't a double read. He wasn't identified as a trauma patient. Anytime you have a trauma patient, you do a double read, especially high-risk individuals such as those that are aging um, from it. And so as I'm starting to kind of put this all together, I'm expecting this transparency. I'm expecting partnership, candor. And I did not receive it. When I asked to meet with the highest level of executive leadership, I received a letter, and my father, by the way, did too. It was to him as well, that in essence said, we understand that you've asked to talk with individuals uh, throughout the health system. We respectfully ask that you speak to our attorney. He's been briefed, and um, he knows the case, and he will be happy to help you. I have to tell you that I became incredibly angry. And, you know, when I look at health systems and I look at health care, I have to ask myself, how is it that we really big, think more about risk mitigation? How is it that we, as care providers, as clinicians, as nurses, have to function in a system that has lost what it originally was designed for, and that was care of the human, seeing the individual for who they are and trying to figure out what really is going on. It suddenly struck me, Bonnie, that um, my dad and countless others, medical errors are the third leading cause of death. And I cannot even begin to get my arms around what has happened with SARS-CoV-2 and the challenges that our colleagues have faced and the decisions that they've had to make. It is an awakening, and it's an awakening that I stepped back and thought about. And suddenly I was brought back into 2013 where the sheriff looked at me and said, I had sacrificial lambs and one idiot. And I started to question, and I started to look ahead and think about, is it such that we are looking at patient safety and, and assuming that there will be sacrificial lambs along the way as we get it right or better? Are we willing to accept that? Are we really, really willing to 
acknowledge the fact that our systems are so fragmented, that our capabilities are so limited, that it is what it is. And there are sacrificial lambs. You bring up such incredibly powerful points. First off, let me say that both of those stories give me chills, right? And I think as chief nursing officers, we can understand the responsibility that we bear for protecting our staff. On the flip side of that, we also understand the responsibility and accountability that we have when patients and their families trust us with their lives and how we handle that. When you think about your your dad, how in your role as a CNO have you handled that? And there are just so many opportunities to, to do that better than the way it was handled for you. You know, you asked such a beautiful question, and and I will tell you, I was naive because I thought the world was doing what I was doing, and and what I was doing was being transparent from the moment that we realized, the moment that we realized that that something had gone wrong, and to be open and to be able to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out, and we're going to learn together, and to walk alongside the family and the individual and stay in their pain and to acknowledge it. It's just so critical. And in many ways to keep that communication going, as you discover more, there is no case out there. When medical error occurs, there is no case that's simple. You have to discover, you have to turn over, um, you know, what is implicit biases and ask deeper, harder questions around why is it that this happened? And when you do that, you'll start to really see where you have system failures, where human factor was an influencer, and you communicate that back. And and you say, here's what we're going to do. And then you follow up with them. Here's what we've done. And because of this, because of the partnership, we're going to do better. That's what I've done, Bonnie. And, And I thought the rest of the world was walking that pathway. Now, I, I also will tell you that I focused in on, on really and truthfully look, thinking about how can you standardize, reduce variation, all the things that all of us are working on. I was doing that. But I truly think that in many ways we have institutionalized those actions and we have accepted the failure, the sacrificial lambs, as just part of us working on it. Well, it feels as though one of the pieces that has become baked into the system is the distrust that's very mutual, right? Patients often and their families often believe that there is some kind of a cover-up or a lack of transparency, a lack of honesty. And on the inverse, hospitals tend And I'm going to say, when I was in this position, we were often, I'm a we, we were often skeptical when patients and families said, look, we just want to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else. Is that just code word for, 
we say we're not going to sue you, but if it turns out that there's an opportunity for some kind of a payout, maybe then we'll change our mind. And, and I'm not saying that's what patients' um, intentions are, but there's a distrust, I think, on the side of hospitals and providers sometimes as well. I, I wouldn't disagree with you on that, but here's what I, I would tell you and what the research has really shown. And, and I want to take you back to um, a time back in the 90s where some of us, myself, were advocating to have uh, family members present for codes and traumas. And at the time, all the providers, everyone said, no, they'll sue us because they'll see what we do wrong. And what we found in, in the research that I was a part of and others is, is that, no, and as a matter of fact, they had less likelihood to go to litigation because they saw how hard you worked and they saw what happened. And when we talk about distrust, my experience has been is when I am as open as I can be, because this is what I know of, of today um, from it, people will have grace with you. They will give you grace because they want for your actions to, to ensure that the next individual is not harmed and hurt, that you do learn from that. And, and in all honesty, Bonnie, when, when I have approached medical heirs in the mannerism that I've shared with you, there wasn't litigation. It was hard, though. I'm going to share. It was hard. There were more days than not that I would drive home with tears down my face because of how we have failed and the impact that we had had on a family now. And you take that to heart. And I think many times it's easier to put up the defense shield and to look at mitigation of risk. And certainly attorneys will tell you that. And certainly risk managers will tell you that. But we've got to stop thinking and looking at this through the lens of sacrificial lambs. I like that a lot because I, I think you highlight not only some of the challenges that we have, but some of the ways that we can collaborate and partner with patients and their families, right? We, it's them that we're caring for. So it's them that we owe the accuracy, the honesty, the transparency to. How do you see COVID impacting this? Oh, I think we've stepped back in time. <laughs> All honesty. And, and I, you know, I, I, have, I have three worries. And uh, the first worry is exhaustion. Um, and when I say exhaustion, I, I mean leadership exhaustion, emotional exhaustion. People feel like they've been in battle. And they have. We have. And because we've been in battle, we have to heal ourselves. And because of that, I think we've lost ground that we were trying to make around advancing a reduction of medical errors. I think that, that the um, environment that we were forced to face and the challenges that, that brought with that from you know, us not being able to provide the and it, this is not simple, but the simple thing of PPE um, to protect our our workforce, the the you know care um, decisions that were being made based on the most available information at the time, um, and then additionally uh, we have a new dynamic in that how COVID will be playing out 
in the long term. And what does that mean as far as chronic uh, diseases and impact upon organs? Um, I think is incredibly worrisome. And so suddenly now we're very focused, almost myopically, um, um, on that and not stepping back and saying, but we still have this body of work over here. And I would tell you with my own father, COVID impacted us because only one person could be with him. And at least we were allowed that. And, and so I was on the phone. I couldn't go into the hospital. I couldn't meet with people. I couldn't look them in the eye. Um, so I'm trying to communicate through uh, phone calls, which you and I both know works not incredibly well uh, from it. And so I tried to uh, say, let's do technology. Let's do FaceTime. And they were like, no, I don't want to do FaceTime because it's my personal phone. So, you know, so many things have created these layers and layers and layers of where more air entered into our healthcare delivery system that I think we're going to have to unbundle that. And I think it's going to be hard. I think we continue to complicate this whole dynamic that we know as care because there are so many transformations that are occurring at the same time. We're moving, the, the care continuum is shifting, right? We're seeing um, a, a decrease in inpatient admissions and patient days are down and we're seeing those shift to outpatient care or home care. And I don't really know if we have our arms quite around how that has impacted the overall quality or where we may see errors shift as a result of that. I don't know. Is that proportional to where care is provided or is it going to be different? I, you know, and it's a great question. And, it, and I think it remains to be seen. What, what we do know is, is that the communication has to be seamless and pristine, and it's not. So many times in those kinds of settings, people are picking up on what they think they know, not necessarily what is truth. And because of that, I do think that errors are going to uh, enter in. As a matter of fact, you know, again, in my own experience, that was some of the things I had to deal with once dad was discharged from rehab. And trying to get everybody to communicate and on that same kind of plan of approach for his care was an enormous uh, energy on my part. And, and I know the system. <laughs> so as you think about this transition and, and, you know, telehealth had gotten a really bad kind of rap where it's not personal or personal and, and it's not, um, you know, able to really uh, do true care. I have to tell you that it, as we were working through utilizing telehealth for him, I talked to his physicians and saw them more than if I had tried to make appointments and to get him into the office. So I think there's going to be some, some challenges, but I also think that there's going to be some benefits. And I love telehealth. It gives us the ability to look each other in the eye and have to listen, not stare at a computer that you're entering documentation in. Yeah, I think that's a really neat point because we have a ways to evolve yet as caregivers, providers, administrators, leaders in that space to embrace 
telehealth, not just having your telehealth visit, but embracing that as being part of the building of the relationship and of the patient experience. Absolutely. And nursing can have such a role, an incredible role in really, truly leading the way on that. Can imagine the conversations that you can have when you're able to have, just take a congestive heart failure patient and you're able to say, let's, let's just talk about what's hanging out in your cupboard. And, and you're able to have that kind of dialogue that feels like I'm just sitting at your kitchen table versus talking down or talking in a way that the individual doesn't understand. So I, I applaud telehealth. I think we've got to figure out how to continue to pay for it. And nursing has to be a, an integral part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to take an interprofessional, interdisciplinary approach so that we do really leverage the power in telehealth. And as you said, imagine what that's like. We'll get more information in a telehealth world than we would have received before. Because in your example, if I'm talking to a patient, a a CHF patient, literally I can say on your phone, let's go scan your pantry. Show me what's in your cupboard. That is so much more meaningful than trying to have a conversation in an office visit and them trying to think about, do they have condiments? What kind of soup do they have? Do they buy canned vegetables or frozen vegetables? Whereas if they show you, you got it. And you know, right off the bat, what you're working with. Absolutely. And, and not only that, you know, if you think about how we educate or the lack thereof, what an incredible opportunity to do it in a dialogue, in a conversation. Um, and, you know, one of the things also is, is that many times in our healthcare settings, it's intimidating to people. They don't disclose fully what's going on. But through conversations where they're in their own home setting, you will learn more that could prevent a medical error, could save their life. And that's the other part that we've got to expand this vision of really what is healthcare and how is it that you can design it to where the it's it truly is the self-management of the individual in partnership with you versus that consumer model where they come and go, come and go. So it's a great goal to work towards no sacrificial lambs. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. And that's a really, you're making my head swim, Marty, but that's a great place for us to leave it for today. Wow. Thanks again so much for your your time and for being with us today on Healthcare Soothsayers. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for letting me share my story. I'm honored that you felt comfortable sharing that with our our listeners. I think it's really going to help us to illustrate a great point. And be sure to check out the show notes for this show to find Marty's contact information and to learn more about her work. And thanks again for being with us today. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.